0: Hello, welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday message podcast. On this episode, our care pastor, Josh Masters, continues in a series on encounters with Christ. If you want to watch this video message or listen to this week's worship set, just go to our website, brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood Church app. We pray this message encourages you in your walk with Christ.
1: That was awesome. Good morning, Brookwood. Are you excited to be here? Today we are continuing our summer series entitled Encounters with Christ. And each week we have been looking at a different person in Scripture who had a life-changing encounter with Jesus and how that encounter can affect the encounter that we can have with Jesus Christ. Now, most of the encounters that we've looked at so far have been short and singular. In other words, we have seen people where they meet Christ Their lives are transformed forever, but then they go away and we have no idea where they went and we never see them again. Well, today we're going to be looking at someone who had multiple encounters with Jesus Christ and their lives continually intersected. In fact, it was the first man in the New Testament to have an encounter with Jesus. Who do you think was the first guy to have an encounter with Jesus in the New Testament? John the Baptist. I don't know who said it, but you're right. John the Baptist. Is that Jackie? Well done. Yes, John the Baptist. And it was before he was born. A lot of people would say Joseph. But before Joseph had an encounter, John the Baptist had an encounter with Jesus. Now, John was Jesus's cousin. And his mother, Elizabeth, was pregnant with John at the same time that Mary was pregnant with Jesus right? So look at Luke chapter 1. This is not our main text, but we're going to start here as a jumping off point. A few days later, so this is right after Mary found out that she was pregnant with the Messiah. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth, and at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it continues, Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your voice, your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. That's awesome of all the healing and life-transforming encounters that we have looked at in the scriptures in this series, this is the most overwhelming to me. Even though Jesus is only a few days old in Mary's womb, the moment he arrives, John recognizes Jesus as the Messiah from Elizabeth's womb. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Think about the implications of that. Let me say that again. John received the Holy Spirit from an encounter with Jesus while they were both still in their mother's womb. And John's encounter with Christ here was the beginning of a lifetime marked by humble servitude to the Messiah. And we're going to explore a little bit of that life today, a little bit of the life of John the Baptist. And the bulk of our text is going to be in Matthew 3. Matthew 3, so you can go ahead and turn or swipe in your Bibles to Matthew 3 if you'd like. But as you do that, I want to give you a little bit of a sense of who John is. Because it's important to understand a little bit about the role John plays in Scripture before we look at the next encounter he had with Jesus. So first, he is not called John the Baptist because he was a delegate at the Southern Baptist Convention. Those are not connected. He's called John the Baptist so that he is not confused with John the disciple, right, and later John the apostle. And the title comes from his ministry. He had a ministry of baptizing. And we'll get to that in a minute. But here's here's the really important thing to understand about who John is. John is the last Old Testament prophet. John is the last Old Testament prophet. And that can be a little bit confusing, right? Because he's in the New Testament. Right? That's confusing. Okay, if you have coffee, take a sip of coffee. This gets a little bit intense. So the issue is this. The word testament is translated that we use for Old Testament and New Testament. The word testament is translated from Greek and Latin words that also mean covenant. So our Bibles would be more accurately labeled if they were called the Old and the New Covenant. The old covenant with Israel, the new covenant under Christ. So John is operating as the last prophet under the Old Testament, under the old covenant between God and Israel, preparing the way for Christ to bring in the new covenant. John's mission was described and foretold in the book of Isaiah 700 years before he was born. And then an angel came to John's father and confirmed his mission and his purpose before Elizabeth was pregnant. This is in Luke. The angel said, John will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah. And he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. So John's role as a prophet was foretold in the Old Testament or the Old Covenant and confirmed to his parents before his birth. That's a lot of information and we're still in the introduction. You guys still with me? All right. Let's jump into our text. Okay, we're in Matthew 3. At this point, John is now grown He's a grown man, and he is preaching out in the wilderness in the power of Elijah after having received the Holy Spirit through an encounter with Christ as a baby. Right? Everybody with me? Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord is coming, clear the road for him. That's the passage from Isaiah we were just talking about. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. The people from Jerusalem and all over Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, and the Greek may actually indicate that they came to actually be baptized to sort of check out what was happening, he denounced them. You brood of vipers. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Who warned you to flee God's coming wrath? Prove by the way that you live that you have repented for your sins and turned to God. Don't just say say to each other that you are safe for we are descendants of Abraham. That doesn't mean anything. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these stones. Even now. The axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the tree. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. Whew. Now, some of you are looking at the outline that you got when you came in and you're thinking, did I get the wrong outline? Because at the top it says a humbling encounter. And there's nothing about John that seems very humble. You have the right outline. You know, last week, JC, he walked us through, his message title was A Bold Encounter. He walked us through a bold encounter. And he touched on this balance between boldness and humility. And there's probably no greater example of that balance between boldness and humility than John the Baptist. He has the perfect balance. And in fact, do you know what Jesus Christ, Jesus himself said to the disciples about John the Baptist? He said this. I tell you, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. John was the pinnacle of boldness and humility at the same time. He was incredibly bold in his purpose because he was completely humble before Christ I'm going to say that again he was incredibly bold in his purpose because he was completely humble before Christ and it all stems from that first encounter that he had with Jesus in the womb because an encounter with Christ brings bold humility An encounter with Christ brings bold humility. And if we have an encounter with Christ, it will bring bold humility into our lives. The more we are humbled at the feet of Christ's glory, the more we are empowered with boldness to fulfill the purpose he has for our lives. And as bold as John was with the message God gave him for repentance and for the Sadducees and for the Pharisees, we do see humility in that passage. Look back at verse 4 again. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. First of all, gross, gross. I'm from New England, so I'd put a little maple syrup on those locusts instead of honey. But more importantly, John's encounter with Christ and his encounter with the Holy Spirit brought him to a place of such humility that his mission in Christ outweighed any comforts this world could offer him. His mission in Christ outweighed any comforts this world could offer him and yes there are elements to this description about his role as a prophet and being in, speaking in the power of Elijah but here's what we are meant to get out of this the boldness of his purpose was rooted in the humility of his desires is the boldness of your purpose rooted in the humility of your desires Because when Christ's purpose in your life becomes more important than your personal desires, you'll find significance in your life far beyond what this world can offer. So, what does it mean? What does it mean to live and to have the type of humility that leads to this kind of power and strength? Well, with the time that we have left, I want to quickly look at three things that we learn from the life of John. And here's the first one. Humility in Christ means recognizing Christ's lordship. Humility in Christ means recognizing Christ's lordship. Let's keep reading in our text. We left off on verse 11. This is still John speaking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon. Someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his own barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. John doesn't mince words, does he? So neither can we. See, John was direct And John was bold because he understood something that we often miss in the Western church. And if we're honest, it's the reason that the Western church is mostly ineffective and impotent. See, we understand the love of God, we understand the grace of God, but we don't understand the justice of God. Not really. We don't like to talk about the wrath of God, do we? But it's all in this book. It's everywhere. And until we start to grasp that, until we start to understand the wrath of God and the justice of God, we will never truly understand, we will never truly appreciate, and we will never be able to live in the sacrifice that Jesus made to step in between us in that wrath. Sin will be purified in the fire of God's holiness. Amen. And John lived in the humble knowledge that he was nothing when standing before the holiness of Jesus Christ. He said, "I'm unworthy to be his slave. His slave." And with all of our complaining and all of our entitlement, let's let that sink in for a second. I'm not worthy to be Jesus' slave. Remember when we talked about the paralyzed man a couple weeks ago? An encounter with Jesus Christ should be terrifying when you realize who he is in comparison to who you are. But that holy fear then empowers you to glorify God when you realize that his glory and his power and his holiness is being channeled into the grace-filled hope of salvation and his purpose for your life. The reality is that you can't fully submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ until you realize that your life means nothing without him. And that's at the heart of everything. That's at the heart of everything. Because as long as you insist on being the Lord of your own life, you will never accomplish great things for the kingdom of God because you're working for the kingdom of you. John recognized the lordship of Christ when he encountered Jesus in the womb. And now his ministry is bringing people to a repenting knowledge of the Messiah because he still recognizes that he's not worthy to carry Jesus's shoes. When we come to a place of thinking, look at all I'm doing for God. Look at how much I'm doing for the kingdom. We are in a dangerous, dangerous land. And the best thing that we can do in that moment, and I'm including myself as well, the greatest thing that we can do in that moment is get on our knees and ask Jesus Christ to reveal who he is. Because when he reveals even a glimpse of his glory and his power, it will humble you to submission. Now please hear me. We are not called to self-hatred I'm not talking about walking through life with your head down thinking that you are less than everybody else I'm not talking about feeling worthless I'm not talking about judging yourself and getting down on yourself about every mistake that you make that is not from God No, I am talking about embracing a purpose that is greater than yourself and holding your head high, knowing that you are a child of the most high God and that you have the most power in your life when you're humbled at the feet of Jesus Christ. (laughs) John had that bold power of humility, but even he wasn't prepared for the next encounter he would have with Jesus. The book of John. Meaning the disciple John. Gives us an extra glimpse that Matthew doesn't give us. And John the disciple writes that John the Baptist was, was baptizing people. And while he was baptizing people in the Jordan River he saw Jesus coming. He, he saw Jesus coming from afar. And he said Look. The Lamb of God. The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He's the one I was talking about when I said a man is coming after me who's far greater than I am. He existed long before I did. John says he existed long before I did even though John was born first. That's because he knows who Jesus is. Again, John is proclaiming Christ's lordship, his deity, and his identity as the promised Malech HaMashiach, the coming king and Messiah. So, why? Why is the Messiah, the Lamb of God, approaching John? We continue in our text, verse 13. Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why why would you come to me? Why are you coming to me? Why didn't John want to baptize Jesus? He wasn't worthy. And he knew he wasn't worthy. John knew he wasn't worthy to baptize Jesus, but here's what is incredible in the grace of God. Humility in Christ means receiving assignments I'm not worthy of. Humility in Christ means receiving assignments that I am not worthy of. Listen very carefully. The greatest sign that we're not prepared for a particular assignment that we want from God is that we think we deserve it or that we've earned it. We are never ready to do what God wants to do through our lives until we realize that we're not worthy to do it. When you submit to Christ's lordship in an encounter with him, he will give you an assignment that you are not capable of and you are not worthy of doing. And John knew that. John's baptism was one of repentance and confession. He knows Jesus has nothing to repent for. Just a few verses ago, John was refusing to baptize the Pharisees and the Sadducees or even let them watch him baptized people because he knew that their hearts weren't worthy of it. And now he's proclaiming and confessing how unworthy he is to be in the water with Jesus. In fact, as Jesus makes his request, John becomes even more aware, more self-aware of his own sinful nature, of his own sin, and he says, no, 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 I need to repent. I need to be baptized by you. How does Jesus respond? Verse 15. But Jesus said, it should be done. It should be done. For we must carry out all that God requires, and the Greek actually is closer to, for we must fulfill all righteousness. So John agreed to baptize him. John was right, of course. John was right. Jesus didn't need to be baptized for confession. He didn't need to be baptized for repentance. So why would Jesus submit himself to that? It's strange, right? But Jesus tells us why he's there. Look at the verse again. It says, it should be done. And that's an important phrase that we miss in English. In Greek, it's actually all one word. It should be done. It's one word. And what it really means is to let loose, to permit something that wouldn't normally be permitted, to permit something that wouldn't normally happen. So Jesus is saying, John, you're right. I don't need to be baptized. Not for repentance. But I will permit it. I will permit it in this moment. Why? Because we must fulfill all righteousness. See, this is part of Christ's mission. And don't miss this. This is part of Christ's submission to the Father. Christ is submitting to the Father. And so with that explanation, John agrees. He agrees to baptize Jesus. But if he felt unworthy before, hold on to your camel's hair coats. Watch what happens next. Verse 16. After his baptism, this is Jesus, after his baptism, as Jesus came out of the water, the heavens were opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly beloved Son who brings me great joy. Knowing that he is unworthy, John takes hold of the Messiah. And he drops him below the surface of the water. And it's Jesus who looks just like anybody else, any other man, comes up out of the river, beads of water coming down his face. The heavens break open. The Spirit of God, visibly for everyone to see, descends out of heaven and settles on Jesus Christ. And the audible voice of God breaks into our world from eternity. Can you imagine? And this moment is so important. It's so important to the plan of salvation. It's so important and vital to the mission of Jesus Christ that we see something here that we don't see anywhere else. Did you catch it? What is it? This is the moment when we see the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit together at one time, working as one God in the plan of redemption but in three independent roles. This is our greatest picture of the Trinity. That's how essential this baptism is. It is the confirmation of Christ's purpose through the Son's submission, the Holy Spirit's empowerment, and the Father's affirmation and blessing. And this baptism confirms the ministry that would lead to Jesus' greater baptism in death and then resurrection. John said it. He saw it from the beginning. He said, behold, the Lamb of God, the sacrifice of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And that's exactly what we see And that's exactly what we will proclaim as we celebrate baptism here at Brookwood next week. And I want to encourage you, if you've never been to one of our baptisms, please come and see the celebration. John's baptism was about repentance, but the New Covenant baptism is about rebirth. After the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, baptism became a public acknowledgment of our faith in the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. And going under the water represents being buried with Christ and our sins being buried with Christ. And coming out of the water represents being raised to new life. And that's what we see modeled here for the first time. That's what Jesus gives us in this picture. And knowing how John felt before, can you imagine How unworthy John must have felt after experiencing this moment. Yet Christ chose John. Christ chose John to help usher in a new relationship between God and mankind. And listen, God wants to give you an assignment that you're not worthy of. God wants to use you for a purpose that is so much greater than yourselves that it seems impossible and it feels terrifying because just like John, God wants to reveal his glory through your life. And that can only happen when we stop seeking our own. Stop, stop. Stop rejecting the great things Christ has called you to do just because you feel unworthy and unready. You are. You're not worthy. You're not ready. But he knows that. And that's the exact reason he's calling you. Humility in Christ means receiving assignments I'm not worthy of and it means accepting assignments I'm not worthy of but humility in Christ also means releasing what's not assigned to me releasing what is not assigned to me and this one might be the most difficult we finished with Matthew 3 let's quickly jump over to John chapter 3 John chapter 3 After Christ was baptized by John, he went into the desert and was tempted for 40 days to prepare for his ministry. And then when he returned, Jesus began his public ministry. And in a somewhat less intense encounter, I think probably every encounter with Jesus was intense, but in a less, encounter, less intense encounter than last time, John finds himself baptizing people at Anon, the, the city or town of Anon. And he's baptizing people close to where Jesus is also baptizing people at the same time. So they're in the same place in two groups, both baptizing people. Now as Jesus began assembling his disciples, many of John's followers, because John had many disciples, many of his followers left to follow Jesus instead. But when the remainder of John's disciples... Show up here and they see that Jesus is also baptizing people, they start getting a little bit territorial. Anybody here ever gotten territorial over your ministry? No one bold enough to raise their hand. They start getting a little bit territorial and they go to John and they say, Hey, baptizing is our thing. That's ours. Aren't you concerned, John? This Jesus guy, he's taking over everything. And how does John respond? Verse 28. You yourselves know how plainly I told you. I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. See, it's the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the best man is simply glad to be standing there next to him and hear his vows. Therefore I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. And that is not a statement of emotional martyrdom. It's an understanding of his purpose. When John says I must become less and less and he must become greater and greater, when he says I must become less and less, that is not a picture of John shrinking On the contrary, it's a picture of John boldly releasing what doesn't belong to him. And sometimes it takes boldness and courage and vulnerability to let go of something that doesn't belong to you. Because as important as it is to step forward in faith in the things that we're unworthy to do that he's called us to do we must also release what he hasn't given us to do. Because what we have a tendency to do as human beings is we tend to pick up the mantle from God that he's given us and then proclaim it as our own. Now it's mine. And we inject our goals and our purpose into his plan. And we cross a line. We cross a line between what we're supposed to do and what Christ is supposed to do. John said, I am not the Messiah. And neither are you. But we add on to the mission, don't we? We add on to the mission that he's given us, taking it just a little bit farther, taking just a little bit of authority in ourselves rather than him, and then ultimately only relying on our authority. John knew where that line was. But you know who didn't? Moses. Moses didn't. In the book of Numbers, Moses was angry with the people of Israel because they kept complaining. And I don't blame him for that. I'd be angry with them too. All they did was complain. Over and over, God had shown his provision to the Israelites. And his love to the israelites but like spoiled children they kept whining and wishing they'd never left the familiar chains of their slavery well as they were complaining this one particular time about not having enough water god visibly the glory of god visibly appeared to moses and he said here's what i want you to do moses I want you to gather the entire community together. Get everybody together because I want to show them. I want them to see what I'm about to do. And and once you have everybody together, here's what I want you to do, Moses. I want you to go over to that rock and just quietly speak to it. And then I'm going to make water gush out of it. Enough for every man, woman, and child and animal in Israel. God was again going to reveal his holiness and his goodness and his provision and his love for the Israelites. But this is what happened. Book of Numbers, chapter 20. Then Moses and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather around the rock. So far, so good. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we Bring you water from this rock. Then Moses raised his hand and he struck the rock twice with his staff. And water gushed out. So the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. Just as God promised. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron. Aaron. Because you did not trust me. You did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel. You will not lead them into the land I've given them. Mission removed. And you know what? I will confess I've read that story a lot of times. And I'll confess that most of the times I've read it, my initial response has been, "Gee." That's awfully harsh. It's awfully harsh not getting to go to the promised land just because he hit a rock. But I see it now. For the first time, Moses didn't have his mission removed because he hit a rock. And Moses didn't even have his mission removed because he got angry. Moses had his mission removed. Because he misrepresented God. He was directed to convey God's provision and love and hope. And he used the opportunity to rebuke the Israelites as if it were coming from God. He didn't get to walk God's people into the promised land. Because he took on the role of God. Instead of being humbled before God. Listen, we have to be careful. We have to be very careful when we are speaking for God to not be speaking for ourselves. So if you listen to the first half of this message and you think having boldness like John means rebuking people and telling them to repent and telling them that they're going to hell if they don't repent and God hasn't told you to do that, you need to be very careful and understand what's at stake because he's much more likely asking you to whisper to a rock and show his grace and mercy and hope but you know what's incredible incredible about the story of Moses and incredible about God's forgiveness that in God's grace Moses did stand in the promised land We see him standing on the mountaintop in the promised land with Jesus and Elijah in Matthew 17, one through eight. So Moses didn't lose God's favor and he didn't lose his salvation, but he did miss out on some of the purpose that God had for his life. Make sure you understand, once you belong to the Father, Scripture says nothing, nothing can snatch you out of his hand. So this is not an issue of losing your salvation. It's not an issue of losing God's love. But when we push and push and push to go where we haven't been assigned and we refuse to let go of the things that God is asking us to release, we can miss the greater mission he has for our lives. And I am convinced that when Revelation 21 talks about Jesus wiping away every tear, I'm convinced that many of those tears will come from the sudden realization of every opportunity we missed. God has a plan of meaning and significance for you. But you have to let go. You have to let go of what's not yours so your hand is open to receive the blessings that he has planned for you. John knew where his mission started and he knew where his mission ended. John knew what was his and what was the Lord's. And you may be sitting there thinking, I can't live up to that. I I can never live up to the bold, humility, and purpose-filled life that John the Baptist had. After all, Josh, you told us, Jesus himself said that John is the greatest man who ever lived. Jesus did say that. But it wasn't his full statement. The full statement was this. I tell you, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. John. Yet, even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. That's you. That's you, Jesus is putting in the same category as the greatest person who ever lived. Jesus wrote the purpose of John's life into the book of Isaiah. So what? He wrote the purpose for your life into eternity. And you may not be a prophet, but you know what? You have the same mission that John did. To prepare the people for the coming of the Lord the encounters you have with people are meant to prepare them for what the Messiah wants to do in their lives, both now and at the end of the age. You are the representative. So submit to his lordship with humility. Stop rejecting the great task that you're not worthy of and let go of what he's asking you to let go of and then watch watch what he does through your life let's pray father god you are god of immense compassion and none of us are worthy to be here none of us are worthy to do anything for you but the fact that you would choose us to to be the display of your hope and your glory to a broken world and to hurting people and to one another. It's unfathomable. So Lord, I pray that you would make us a people of purpose, that you would break down the walls. And I know sometimes when we hear difficult truths, we just add bricks to our wall when we hear difficult truths. But I ask for the Holy Spirit to come and tear down those walls. I ask for the Holy Spirit to move boldly so that we can learn to move boldly. And become a church that transforms the community, not because we're worthy of it, but because you are a God who is holy and uses weak people to transform lives. Teach us how to love you better. Teach us how to praise you better. And teach us to love one another better. We ask this in the name of Christ, knowing that he gives us the authority to ask with boldness. Amen. If you need to be made right with God this morning, we have pastors and counselors down front in the Care Connection room and hit the speak to a pastor button in our online group. Thank you for being here today.
0: Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so you experience transformed life. One of the ways you can do that is by getting connected at Brookwood. Email us at connections at or call us at 864-688-8326 to get in contact with our Connections team. You can also find our messages archived on our website or on our Brookwood Church app. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day.